Blog Talk Radio. Urban Glory Radio, simply glorious. In spreading the gospel to the world, we have designed a streaming radio broadcast for every believer. This word, worship, and witness field broadcast streams live every week. Access episodes on demand 24 hours a day. Subscribe to our iTunes podcast and take UGR wherever you go. Visit us online at urbanglorycampaigns.webs.com. Also find us at twitter.com backslash urban underscore glory and like us on Facebook. Enjoy today's broadcast. This is Bobby Thomas, leading executive of the Urban Glory Commissioners League. We are the financial support of the work of this great ministry and organization. I've been a supporter of this ministry in time, talent, and treasure, and I ask you to consider doing the same. Whatever the amount, give from your heart, and know that the leadership of Urban Glory Campaign appreciate your gifts, and the Lord himself will bless you beyond measure. Visit www.paypal.me forward slash Urban Glory Campaigns and give today. Thank you for listening. This is Selena Olivia, one of the leaders here at Urban Glory Campaigns, coming to you again to say thank you for listening and to connect with us. Connect with us online. We are on just about every social media platform. Find us on Facebook by searching Urban Glory Campaigns, on Twitter at Urban underscore Glory, and on Instagram, our music association, UGMA, Urban Glory Music Association, as well as Facebook for the Music Association. Epic Night is coming, February 2017, a night of celebration, glory, and excellence, catered with delicious food, glorious music, entertainment provided by Urban Glory's own Music and Arts Association, and inspirational words in recognition of our founder, Reverend LeVon Breland, and various members of the support team of Urban Glory Campaigns. For more information, call 202 630 for UGC, that's 202-630-4842, or visit www.urbanglorycampaigns.web.com. Urban Glory Radio, simply glory.
My Praise is by Danton Whitley and Mosaic Sound. Purchasing music and book Danton Whitley and Mosaic Sound, and the other singers and artists of Mosaic Sound Entertainment, at DantonWhitleyMusic.com. That's D A N T O N W H I T L E Y Music.com.
not only in what we say, but more so in what we do. And so what theology is always set to do, when we talk about theology, because you'll hear me use that all the time, I'll say the theology of God's nature, and I'll give you five passages to which unveils God's perspective pertaining to the subject. And then from there, I will trust the Holy Spirit to even enlighten you as to how it relates to you if you go back and reflect on that study. So that's, that's, that's the process of theology. But theology is really not theology until it's enabled in our walk. See, see that's what, what James was coming on the scene to do. Remember the Apostle James when he wrote the epistle uh, some 50 years after the church had already been established, Paul had already walked on the earth, and Paul was by this time off the scene. The church was matured, but it was also falling up um, as far as generationally, um, it seemed like the message just wasn't transferring correctly because, the one, the dispensation of the power of God that was taking place in Acts where the signs and wonders had diminished because they they were not uh, reflecting um, uh, the Holy Spirit, okay? So the Holy Spirit was uh, kind of talked, shunned away from. They focused more on the political arena. That's what Romans, the appeal to Romans was like, uh, listen, this is a supernatural thing. We possess the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is what transforms us, not to conform, but then to transfigure everything around us through our convictions that we have through Christ. And so we, we can observe. Remember, we talked about observing the Old Testament, for the scriptures were written for our learning, that we through the comfort, comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So we look back at the Old Testament not to gain, gain doctrines, but to just gain an awareness of how people struggled in and out with this, with this toil of embodying conviction. Do you get what I'm saying? We don't rebuild temples. We don't, we don't try to replicate and try to connect ourselves to becoming something that we're not through, through Jewish customs. I mean, we, we, we appreciate the culture of Israel because Israel was the first group or the primitive uh, force of covenant, where, where we see the effect of covenant, the consequences of rejecting the covenant, and then of the restoration of covenant through the Christ, uh, Christ factor. And, of course, Christ is not Jesus' last name. The only way Christ has a full effect on our lives is if we embody the convictions through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why when he talks about the kingdom of God and erecting now a spiritual house that is built upon spiritual promises, he doesn't go and tell you, go build something and make yourself your own literal kingdom. But he says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Come on, this is not grade school teaching today. We, we got to go up and we got to go further as the church. Um, we have to know that theology is not just for people that go to Bible school. It's not for those who feel that they're called to the ministry. It's the, it's the process in which we learn the logic of God or the knowledge of God or the, way, or the ways of God or the nature of God, the attributes of how God exists and how he affects our existence and how we appropriate our belief in his existence throughout everyday affairs. So your theology never ends. This should always enhance. You don't have conclusive standards on it. No matter how much you figure out things and create standards to say, this is what I believe, your belief is always enhancing because you're always beholding yourself beyond the mirror, not reflecting on your nature but the nature of Christ, and he unfolds to you new facets and opportunities from faith to faith, from, from glory to glory. 
This is the this is the way of God. So so our ability to hear God's voice and to recognize the direction of the spirit which we cannot see, but we sense and believe, is pivotal to us exemplifying this construct of theocracy. And of course theocracy is a system which God has sovereignty. He rules, he's supreme. We, we confess with our mouth, Romans 10.10 10 says, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He introduces the term of owner, ruler, and controller, sustainer. There, therein lies our salvation. Or in other words, the only people that he can save is with this confession. Now, that confession is not something that's declared with your mouth. It's conveyed with your life. For with the heart man, con- with the mouth man confesses unto salvation. But with the heart, uh, let me re- let me say that correctly. It says in Romans ten nine and ten that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you get what I'm saying? So our confession verbally only leads us to salvation. It doesn't set, set us there. And that's why the old apostolic doctrine says you just can't just read that scripture and think you're saved. But you must await for the promise of the Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit that enables us to live the Christian life. Where we get in conflict is when they deity, when they try to centralize the deity or the diversity of the deity of the Lord Jesus, where they make him God the Father, then you rewrite scripture. Because the scripture says, if you don't have the Father and the Son, then, you, then it says for us, first of all, to reject you if we believe, and then you're discrediting the work of Christ. Because he said, I can only do what my Father does. He's not speaking of himself. He's speaking of the, the, who he submitted to. Jesus is a pattern, of, a pattern for humanity. The alternative of transformation is revealed in his nature. When we reflect on Jesus, we see the right way, we see the truth, and we see the life. We see that this is the thing that pleases God. Without faith, he becomes the author and the finisher of our faith. So we look unto Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is the theology of theocracy. We are building a kingdom of God, not made by hands, but convictions that causes People, when they look on us to say, what must I do to be saved? We reflect the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, you know, in Isaiah, I use two types of, of scriptures to depict um, depict the mind uh, and, and, and how powerful our perception is when it comes to being provoked to exemplify what we believe and what we achieve. See, you are, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, he is. So your reality is your, is based on your perception. That's why you got to always regard and renew yourself, but be renewed, the scripture says, in the spirit of your mind. When you give the spirit of God authority to awaken itself in your mind, then you'll come to these conclusions. But you got to know that God is at work in your process that God desires to be able to work in your process. Some people get stuck on Isaiah, where, remember, the children of Israel reflecting on them that, that had the covenant, their ways were not God's ways, and as long as they complied to God's ways through the commandments of God and upheld the, the things which God had regarded as sacred, they were safe. But when they re- rebelled, their, their, their consequence was captivity. And so you see 400 years of captivity based on the disobedience of a people that refused to uplift themselves 
to the ways of God. And that's why Isaiah would say, and, and, and the prophets would declare in the scripture, that Moses knew my ways, but the children of Israel knew my acts. And they, they, they just saw things, but they never embodied, they never became a friend of God to the point where, you know, and see, when, you, when you're a friend of God, you hold to a greater standard because there's some things you know internally. So the conflict of the Old Testament was they could not internally perceive the convictions of God and convey them in confidence because they would never rebel if it was in their heart versus their head and their eyes or their perception, their natural senses. So in Isaiah, we see that God restores them not only to see naturally, but to say, listen, come up to where I am. Let's reason together. You get what I'm saying? Come, he says, matter of fact, as you come to me and I provide restoration to you through the prophetic utterances of Isaiah, what, what I'm saying to you that are in captivity, I'll, all you'll have to do is make the attempt to come and you will be able to purchase, you will be able to purchase everything. That's the redemptive, that's the redemptive proclamation and declaration 400 years in the future. It will be manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ. After Isaiah rambled on the ground, foaming and gnashing at his teeth, they didn't know that what he was saying was going to be fulfilled 400 years later. And while they are experiencing uh, 40 years after Israel was in the wilderness and coming to the promised land, then they go into 400 years of captivity. Their redemption would come 400 years later. He's prophesying to them what is to come. And he says, listen, come to the waters and buy. Come, those of you who are thirsty, those of you who are hungry, come and be fed. You don't have, if you're hungry, you don't have it. Why do they have it? Because they have accepted God as their Savior. He promises to protect them, Isaiah 55, 6 through 11. But in Hebrews chapter 10, we learn the superiority that came through the Lord Jesus Christ, how he was superior to Moses, to the law, to, um, the, to Adam, to the sacrifices that were in the temple. And when we get to this particular the passage, he says in verse 16, this covenant, chapter 10, verse 16, Hebrews says, this covenant, wait, wait a minute, there's a new covenant that's awakened through this new consciousness. There's a new standard that is delivered. What is a covenant? A contract with God, an agreement with God and man, as long as they can ply to secure uh, a, 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 a consistent connection Hallelujah And so at this point Listen After the appeal Of the Hebrew writer In the in the first nine chapters of Hebrews In the tenth he says Listen This is not going to be An external appreciation He says for This is the covenant That I will make After those days Saith the Lord I will put my laws Into their what Hearts And in their minds Will I write them their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. He's eradicating what keeps the perpetual, um, perpetual sacrifices. Although they were they were made free from sin, they were always conscious by the sacrifices they were continually to create. So the the, the remembrance of what they did kept them wanting to be enticed uh, to go back to sin. So he says to eradicate that. I'm going to do it once and all for all through Christ Jesus. The veil, that is to say, his flesh. What Jesus accomplished on the cross, he completes on the cross. 
And through the cross, he not only cleanses the temple, he not only creates a new way, but he cleanses conscience so that we don't have to remember or regard the sins of the past, but we can awaken to the laws of God within our hearts and our minds to righteousness and receive faith to translate our lives because faith is what pleases God. Faith is what causes the understanding of the world. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed, Hebrews 11.3, by the word of God so that the things which were seen were not made by things which do appear. So a comprehension awakes through faith, and then we have access to God to please God and live acceptably. But their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where there is um, where remission of these is, there is no more offering what for sin. And then what do we have? We have confidence before God. Glory to God. Verse 19 says, having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way, which has, he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh and having a high priest. See, see what God does is he says, all of this is done. Let us draw near with a true heart. Do you get what I'm saying? In other words, you will perpetuate a fake heart until you accept the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Now we're going to talk about the finished work all of 2017. This, this is, this is, if you think this is advanced teaching, wait till we talk about the finished work. <laughs> Glory to God. But listen, it says, listen, having full assurance of faith, it, our, it is our confidence that we have. Let us draw near to God with a true full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil what? Conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is the purity that comes from that? The truth that comes from the presence of God. The truth that comes from the, the conscience of the sacrifice that Jesus paid. The truth that comes from the reality that we can achieve God's best, and we can have what God says we have. We can do what God says we can do. We can be who God says we are. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And says, let us draw near with the full assurance of what? Faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies Washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, because He is He is faithful that promise. Ain't that right? And let us consider what one another and provoke one another to love and to what good works. And that's what we do when we exemplify and erect the kingdom of God. Now, when we talk about theocracy and the system of God, we got to really achieve and isolate exactly what is God's system. Okay, which which lets you know if God is a spirit and he seeks of those to worship him in spirit and in truth, we have to indulge into the spirit. The natural man cannot receive the things of God, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So we know that the spiritual reality is coined in the New Testament as the kingdom of God. It is the reality of God. It is righteousness, peace, and joy. Where? In the Holy Ghost. The scripture lets us know in Matthew 6.33 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things what will be added unto us. So we prioritize the kingdom of God by awakening to his kingdom, right? Then in John chapter 3, uh, let's go to John chapter 3, glory to God. We're just, we're just getting started. I'm excited about the word. Hallelujah. See, uh, the word has to become the, the basis for, for which we do what we do, who we are, and, and how we exist all have to come into alignment of the word. The word became flesh. 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's how the book of John opens. And the Word was made flesh. And, and, the, and the scripture goes on to say, and as many as received him, who is the Word? Jesus Christ. To them gave he power to become the sons of God or to embody the very thing that he was, which was the living word, the living reality of what he believes. And when we talk about developing theology for theocracy, we're saying if God is supreme, we're going to develop a mentality that engages our, our, our uh, disciplines and engages our life to become that which God intends to be, exist on the earth. So, of course, we go visit back in Genesis. Hallelujah, I'm going ahead of myself. We go back in the, and, and visit the dominion mandate. We look at the consequences of sin and, and, and look at the categories of the Bible, law, history, poetry, prophecy. Law teaches us the order of God. The first five books teaches us God's commandments, God's character, God's consequences for not obeying his character and commandments. And and therefore when we have those when we have those in, in place and in our conscience, then we can characterize ourselves to reflect the real original intent. Which says fellowship with God is achievable. And as long as we don't succumb to sacrificing or to the suggestions of things outside of what we know God says. The very reality that Adam had, we can have in abundance, and we can receive the provisions of God. We can look at Abraham, who was considered a friend of God, who had faith, who God said, go where I tell you to go, do what I tell you to do, and as long as you comply, you will see, as, as far as the, look at the sands of the sea, and so shall your nation be. That's what, that's what God did. God changed his perspective. He went to another place. He prioritized what God told him to do by giving offerings to Melchizedek, who was verse king and priest, and now Jesus is after that same order. And all of that's discovered in the first five books of the Bible. So we rediscover the Old Testament, and we look at the we look at the power of covenant, and we say, "Hey, God's covenant commanded God's blessing. The blessing built the reality for the people to live in peace and prosperity, and a perpetual provision from generation to generation. And so shall it be with us, because the scriptures were written for our learning." But not only that, Jesus secures it even more so by making that covenant aware internally, internally that we adapt to the nature of God by the spirit of God that resides on the inside of us. Hallelujah. So in John 3, in John 3, I know I, I didn't lose my place because I'm in the Holy Ghost. He says, listen, verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 3, it says, um, except a man be born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. Born again, of course, is not um, an external experience. It's an internal experience. Jesus qualifies it in verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And, of course, you know, I always tell you when you want to learn the facets of the spirit you go to Romans chapter 8 to find your identity, but then you go back to Romans chapter 6 and learn that God has made you sin-free. 
by adapting you naturally to righteousness. Hallelujah. So your spirit, man, is craving for you to create a reality that is based on righteousness. Now, how do you create a reality of righteousness? Two ways, sanctification and holiness. Sanctification means you separate God. You give God space to come in your life and invade your territory. Holiness is you operate on the impressions of that experience. Do you hear what I'm saying? So in in Matthew chapter 19, uh, I'm just giving you the theology of the kingdom of God. That's what I'm giving you. Matthew 6.33 says make it a priority. Uh, John uh, 3.3-6 talks about it being a premise. Matthew 19, of course, gives that it's not only it's a it's a challenging way. It's a process. You don't get it overnight. Matter of fact, he he makes a, a makes a statement that I used to as a child just get all wrong. Remember, but I I mean either way you look at it, it's still a process. <laughs> and remember how Jesus would say, and of course you know we learned that the um, the eye of a needle was not talking about you know I used to talk about think about a needle and thread. Talk about a, a dog or a camel coming through a needle. And really, it was a, it was just a tiny space that a camel can fit through. But in order for it to fit through, it has to stay focused and stay and stay straight. It can't move or try to move sideways because it'll cut itself because of the narrowness of it. Because the way is straight and narrow. So when we he talk about the eye, as hard as it is to go through the eye of a needle, uh, so is the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of God is straight. It's narrow. In other words, it's step by step. It's consistently and it's finally aligned to God's directives. It's not about us saints. It's not about us getting uh, physical provisions. If your father who clothed the grass and the fields and the birds of the air, how much more will he give you? See, some of that is just a trust factor with us when we when we make everything about building a kingdom, just erecting buildings and making it a natural regard to obtaining prosperities and provisions. No, God will provide for those who walk uprightly, and there's a standard. Uh, uh, there's a guarantee in Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the way of prosper. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Hallelujah. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Uh, but his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in that law does he what? Meditate on it day and night. The results of it, he shall be like a plant. He shall be like a tree planted by the what? The rivers of water, which bring forth fruit in its season. Its leaves shall not prosper. And then the guarantee is this. This is the law of prosperity. Whatever they do, it shall prosper. Glory to God. So we, we know uh, uh, that God's provisions is guaranteed. So when we when we talk about building the kingdom, no, it is not about us just receiving provisions from God. It's more so aligning to the objectives, the overall, the big idea, the big picture, and that's what theology does. It's a big snapshot of God's redemptive plan. What's God's redemptive plan? To restore all all the identity of humanity back to His original intent fellowship with him, peace that surpasses all understanding, love that abounds. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so in Luke 8, chapter 10, the proclamation of the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it should be our focus. But in, in Luke 9, 27, Luke 9, verse 27, it lets us know that the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. In other words, it's supposed to be effectuated by force. It's supposed to come to life by force. How does it come to life by force? By us becoming conscious to place a demand to experience God in our reality. 
Would God be pleased? What would Jesus do? How would the Holy Spirit want us to convey what Jesus would do? Those are the questions that come to building God's kingdom. Now, when we, when we have that, we, we then go back to our last lesson, which, which talks about the kingdom of God being actualized. You know, because I told you three things that I wanted you to do, and that was take time to think about what you think God thinks about priority. What is the priority with God? Oh, Lord, hallelujah. And then we have to trace the mind of God through the lens of Scripture and context. I mean, you can't look at Scripture. For instance, it's amazing to me when it comes to the election. I'm going to say this. I'm going to hit it and run. It's amazing to me how people say we got to uphold biblical standards by, by concentrating on platforms of parties. That's like going to McDonald's, right, and saying, okay, i got to figure out who the owner is of McDonald's in order to eat the fries because they're good. Uh, you, you get what I'm saying? i got to find out what they believe and see if they align with, with uh, the Scripture in order to eat uh, to eat the thing, no, no, because the, the political system and the political platforms are exactly what they are. They are of this world. So I don't expect righteousness in a wicked system. I don't go to McDonald's and try to find the, determine the belief, uh, 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 the belief of the founder of McDonald's in order to determine whether I'm gonna eat their fries. I eat I eat McDonald's because McDonald's is food and it's bad. It's not necessarily good food for you. I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> but I eat McDonald's to eat food. I don't go there and start creating a theological debate of whether I'm going to apply conviction to buy some fries or not. If I want to eat fries, I make a decision of whether I eat fries. And when it comes to politics, we got to put politics in its proper authority. You're not building the kingdom of God through politics, brother and sister. And you got to understand the system and the forces that were created in politics are just as demonic and just as as um as 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 opposed to God's nature and God's standards as the devil. So why would you why would you even use your basis of belief to make an ultimate decision on who you're going to choose when the system itself is opposed to God? It's not a theocracy. It's a democracy. It's based on people's judgment. And I gave the example last week of Samuel, the kingmaker, trying to take the role of prophet. He was a prophet and a judge, but they wanted a king. And they established a counterfeit kingdom by figureheads to identify the people's choice. And so they selected a man. What was his name? Saul. Am I right? He had all the credentials and, 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 and all the, all the, the fineries of a king because they had saw the other nations being led by a, a figurehead versus a functioning spirit that awakened the hearts of men that stirred them to speak. Thus saith the Lord. We, we often get uh, uncomfortable with prophetic utterance, a prophetic platform. And what's happening in the world today is we're trying to create a prophetic platform in public policy, which is directly opposed to the promises and plans of God. There is a better way. And our establishing the kingdom is not just awakening a conscience during the political process that takes place every four years, but actually creating a kingdom reality in our day-to-day walk so that regardless of who is in office or what policies exist, the kingdom of God, 
reigns within us because we actually house the intents of God's will. So I'm challenging us today to not just uh, engage in the religious brawls and rhetoric that come along every few years about elections, where we assume that the Republican Party has our morals and our convictions because they hail the name Christ and morality, or the Democrats that preach a uh, uh, liberality or liberal agenda for the middle class and and equality and, and engage into the rhetoric that we adapt and we conform our opinions to their perspectives. Maybe we need to stay superior and remind ourselves of our identity and what we have and what we can do so when we convey the scriptures, we speak scripture in context, in the integrity in which it was given. And then we take a fresh outlook on the role of the Holy Spirit as the intelligence of God. That was the last point that I gave last week because I understood if the Holy Spirit is not seen as the intelligence of God, you're not going to live spiritually. You're not going to convey uh, uh, the spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. You're not going to be able to convey the impressions that God wants to to reveal through his kingdom uh, uh, practically. Because you don't see the Holy Spirit as intelligent. You make him a, someone that makes you dance and makes you cry and, and show you little character flaws that you have in your little character. No, he is sent to show us things to come. John 14, 15, and 16 reveals the character the conduct, and the, and the, actually it reveals what the Holy Spirit is set to achieve when we actually create him or, or create a space in our lives for him to be our intelligent deliverer, for him to be the, the catalyst of change that erects the kingdom of God. And that's what the is saying, God is supreme. What do I mean by God is supreme? Three things. How do I make the concept of theocracy reality in my life? Number one, I adapt to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I find out what it means to be Lord by advancing in his nature, becoming one with him in spirit, and creating an internal communication that cannot be broken. That means I pray, I fast, and I pull on the supply of the spirit at will. Secondly, I build a biblical worldview. That means my view comes from an appreciation of the, of, the, of the Bible past, but it's awakened with the convictions of the Holy Spirit for the present. So I, I have an intelligence, I have an intelligence briefing about what the Bible says. So I don't just, I don't just religiously look at the scripture or have it as a reference book that I go to, but I know the commandments of God. I also know the commandments that Christ brings in addition to the commandments of God that upheld the Old Testament. But I also look at the the, the changes that Christ brings through commandment so that we can rely upon the Holy Spirit that fulfills the promises of God so that we can live God acceptably. And then I do what the Holy Spirit stipulates for me to do by obedience to the faith, by obeying the voice of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? So when I find a biblical worldview, I find practically how to apply the Bible in my life. I focus on on creating a constant, consistent Christian culture. And I can only do that with fellowship with, with, with the Father and with the saints. Now, one of the things that we're lacking in the church is true, authentic fellowship. Fellowship denotes that we have an understanding of who we are, 
We appreciate where we've come from, but we also have found out exactly what we need. Fellowship can't take place until all the needs and the provisions are brought to the forefront and we are ministering to serving one another to see that our needs and our desires are all aligned and all in place so that we can, we can look beyond us and see the compassion to help other people out. But we can't do that until we come to a place where we can be free to open up to one another and say, I need this. I need you. You need me. We need God's love to help transform us into his kingdom. Hallelujah. And then thirdly, we need to create a conscious set of standards, and that's what we're going to talk about in Raising the Stain, and I'm going to begin this platform next week of how do you apply God to politics? How do you combine convictions to politics practically? We don't want to be going up to McDonald's asking for the owner because the owner nine times out of ten is not going to be working. Hallelujah. We don't want to start making the uh, the platform of McDonald's uh, owner's convictions the means by which we eat fries. We want to put things in proper context and proper category so when we go to speak, thus saith the Lord, we don't look stupid or we're not behind the times, but we actually can come with the word of the Lord for the day because we are engaged in the process of the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God has solutions. So when they come with with the best that the world has the offer because we are so advanced with the with the pulse of God's heart and God's intent, we won't be shaken by the things that we see. We regard highly the acts of holiness. We release ourselves to sanctification and we receive the grace to transfigure and to transform by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. I wish I could say more, but I'm out of time. And you can always refer to Timothy, the charge of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that charges us to live with peace on all men. And, of course, you can look at Romans chapter 13 that says the authorities that be are the Lord. I can give you the theology of government. And, of course, I love the scripture that says in John 18, 36, that my kingdom is not of this world. So we don't look at the world in regards to establish God's kingdom. We look within. We look within. And when the kingdom of God becomes more of a priority and, and, a, and, and place first in our life, 